Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and at IASLC.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Liu. Hi, this is Stephen Liu from Georgetown University. Today, we're going to discuss small cell lung cancer. This is a less common, but particularly aggressive and disproportionately lethal subtype of lung cancer. We estimate about 15% of new lung cancer diagnoses in the U.S. are small cell. And it's very different from our more common non-small cell lung cancer. You know, one of the big differences, unfortunately, is that there have been far fewer advances for small cell lung cancer over the past few decades. Now, hopefully we're on the cusp of changing that. To that end, I'm joined by two of the more relevant researchers in small cell lung cancer today. They provide expertise in basic research, translational science, and clinical investigation. Both are from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, and both serve as co-chairs for the upcoming IASLC 2021 Hot Topic Meeting on Small Cell Lung Cancer. Our first guest is Dr. Charles Rudin. He is the Chief of the Thoracic Oncology Service, the Co-Director of the Druckenmiller Center for Lung Cancer Research, and the Sylvia Hessenfeld Chair in Lung Cancer Research. He is responsible for many of the advances we've made in the treatment of small cell lung cancer, driving much of the work and helping us understand its biology, a true expert in small cell lung cancer. Charlie, thank you for joining us today. Stephen, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for that kind introduction. And we're also joined by Dr. Traparna Sen, an assistant attending biologist in the Thoracic Oncology Service at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. She has been an extremely productive and recognized translational researcher from prior work at MD Anderson in Houston with our colleague, Dr. Lauren Byers, to her current role at Memorial, driving really innovative and novel analyses of small cell lung cancer. Traparna, we're really glad to have you with us. Hi, Stephen. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. And I'm really thrilled to be here talking about our favorite topic, understanding and targeting small cell lung cancer. Absolutely. Really important work. Now, to start, let's talk about our current state of affairs, how we treat small cell lung cancer. Most patients, unfortunately, present with advanced or extensive stage disease. And while progress in small cell lung cancer has been slow, we have had some advances. Charlie, could you maybe summarize our current first-line approach to someone with small cell lung cancer? Sure, Stephen. So the big change in the first-line therapy has been the addition of immunotherapy. So our standard chemotherapy backbone has really been the same for the past 30 years, and that's the combination of a platinum agent with etoposide. The big change that has come in in the last few years has been the addition of PDL1 checkpoint inhibitors, and those have had an important impact on survival for this disease. The median increase in survival isn't very impressive, just a couple of months, but I think the really transformative thing is that we have a proportion of patients, relatively small proportion, but real, who are long-term benefiters from immunotherapy. Now, immunotherapy has really changed how we treat a lot of cancers, and it's good to see new advances in small cell lung cancer, a new standard of care there. You know, Traparna, if we look over the years, we've seen better outcomes with immunotherapy in carcinogen-related cancers, in smoking-related cancers, cancers with high rates of somatic mutations, and that describes small cell lung cancer. But I think we'd all agree that while immunotherapy is our current standard of care for small cell lung cancer, the response rates overall have been somewhat modest. So why isn't immunotherapy more effective in treating small cell lung cancer? Yes, absolutely, Stephen. As Charlie mentioned, immunotherapy in combination with chemotherapy is the standard frontline care. 
And there are a few hurdles that I would like to address first before I go deeper, is that there are no broadly accepted biomarkers that predict benefits to immune checkpoint inhibitors that have been identified for small cell, because as you know, pdl one expression is typically either low or absent in small cell lung cancer, and that precludes its use as a predictive biomarker. And tumor mutation burden might have some predictive value, although we have seen with like blood-based measures of tumor mutation burden, it did not really have a predictive value, as we saw from the Imbau 133 study. So one of the mechanisms by which small cells is thought to evade anti-tumor immunity is through the defects in the antigen presentation pathway. It's essentially the pathway that makes a cancer cell visible to the immune system in the body. And the majority of small cell exhibits very low or absent expression of a major protein, which is the MHC class 1, which is regulator of this pathway. And as a result, despite, as you mentioned, having this huge somatic mutation load, impaired processing and presentation makes the small cell lung cancer cells essentially invisible to the immune system, leading to failure to engage and activate the CD8 positive T cells. And MHC class 1 is not really mutated, like these genes are not mutated because the effect is reversible. So what we think and we have seen from other studies is that there is a transcriptional repression of MHC class 1, and that is what we think has significantly contributed to small cell lung cancer being essentially immunosuppressed and immunotherapy not doing as well as it should. But maybe some outlets to change that. I think that that gives us some hope for the future. So, Parna, you mentioned uh, biomarkers, and we know that biomarkers are really important for our management of non-small cell lung cancer. I would argue that almost all the recent therapeutic advances are in some way related to the unique subsets of non-small cell lung cancer. And if we look at non-small cell next-gen sequencing, absolute necessity to properly treat patients. But that's not been the case for small cell lung cancer, where NGS hasn't really been too helpful. But that's not to say that there aren't different subsets of small cell lung cancer. And Charlie, you've led some of the more important work in this area. Could you explain for our audience a bit about subsets in small cell and how that's different from what we see in non-small cell? Sure, Stephen. I think this is actually one of the most exciting research directions in small cell now is the definition of different subtypes of disease. As you point out, these really aren't defined at the mutational level, the way we think about subtypes of non-small cell lung cancer. Rather, they're defined on the basis of differential gene expression and certain key regulators of gene expression we call transcription factors. And there are at least four subsets driven by different transcription factors. There's a little bit of controversy, I think, still about how to exactly define the parameters of these, but I think we know some of the key factors that are driving different biology in different subtypes of small cell lung cancer today. And Charlie, some of the the work you've recently published in Cancer Cell, really nice work led by Dr. Joseph Chan and yourself, looked a bit at single cell analyses and on some degree, maybe even more subsets, maybe even more heterogeneity in small cell than adenocarcinoma, right? Yeah, that's right. So this was really, I think, a breakthrough paper for us. This was a paper jointly led by our lab and, and that of Donna Peer, who's a tremendous computational biologist, expert in single cell technologies, and multiple first authors on that paper. It was a big effort. But this really looked at the landscape of small cell lung cancer at the single cell level. And we see tremendous heterogeneity of cell types within these tumors. It's really quite striking. Chaparna, when we look at at lung cancer, 
in small cell, we don't have these constitutively active kinases that we sort of routinely target in non-small cell, but there are certainly overactive pathways. And maybe we can represent, or maybe we can use these to really attack cancers. Maybe these represent certain contexts of vulnerability. Uh, you've done a lot of work on the DDR pathway. Could you explain to the audience what that is and why that's relevant in small cell? Absolutely, Stephen. It's one of my favorite topics. So small cell lung cancer, as you mentioned before, has a lot of mutation load. And one of the characterizing features of small cell is this ubiquitous loss of two major tumor suppressor genes, B53 and RB1, which are sort of master regulators of the cell cycle, especially the G1S checkpoints. So there are these checkpoints in place, which sort of is our repair mechanism or these stops that the cell makes in order to repair its DNA upon damage. Now in small cell lung cancer, these G1S checkpoints are compromised. And so the cell depends upon the second checkpoint, which is the G2M checkpoint for its repair upon DNA damage. And my work has been primarily concentrated on understanding the key proteins that control this checkpoint, namely ATR, CHECK1, V1, and also PARP, which helps in the repair of the DNA. So during my postdoctoral training at MD Anderson, we identified the genes that regulate the repair of DNA in our cells and we saw that this could be ideal therapeutic targets for small cell lung cancer. So not only they were overexpressed, this DNA damage response genes, but this could actually be targeted with small molecule inhibitors, and it worked really well. So this DDR pathway is sort of an Achilles heel for this cancer type. And later on, we showed that targeting these DDR genes like PARP and CHECK1 also augmented the response to immunotherapy when we combined these drugs. So in the lab, when we treated cell lines or tumor-bearing mice with small molecule inhibitors of CHECK1 or PARP, we could kill the cancer cells or decrease the tumor burden. But when we combined this with immune checkpoint inhibitors or anti-PDL1, we were able to essentially clear tumors uh, from these mice. So this was a very interesting finding because small cell is a very aggressive cancer type. So now there are several clinical trials that investigates the combination of uh, small molecular inhibitors that targets these DNA damage response proteins and also immunotherapy. And it would be really interesting to see whether these responses that we see preclinically are actually translated in the clinic. And I think that combining this with the other work that's being done, looking at these subsets, as Charlie mentioned, really delivering you know, specific therapeutic strategies to different subsets. I think gives us a lot of hope for the future. You know, I think this is all very promising, but we also acknowledge that real progress in our clinics has been slow for small cell. Charlie, why is that? Well, you're absolutely right. It's been very slow. And I think part of the reason for that is for many years, there was really a lack of research attention to this tumor type. If we look back just a few years ago, 2016, the entire NCI portfolio had four grants focused on small cell lung cancer. It was just such an understudied disease and such a big cause of cancer death. It was really quite striking. And the NCI made a major investment in small cell lung cancer with the creation of Small Cell Lung Cancer Consortium, which now funds laboratories all over the country in the United States and even in Canada to focus on small cell lung cancer. And with that, I think it's really jump-started basic research into the biology of small cell lung cancer. And that has led to the emergence of all of these targets that Triparna is mentioning and others we haven't talked about that I think are 
now reaching clinical application. So it's really been a slow progress to get to this point, but I think we're really at the cusp of a lot of new targets being looked at in the clinic and a lot of potential for therapeutic advances. And I think the benefit really extends beyond sort of just our traditional de novo small cell, as we've seen increasingly transformation to small cell in driver positive mm-hmm. lung cancers. And I think understanding that biology is, is also very important. Now, Triparna, I know that you oversee a patient-derived xenograft project, a PDX project at Memorial. Is that a path to progress for small cell? Well, definitely. First, I would like to mention that this PDX program was really built by Charlie when he was at Johns Hopkins, and then he carried on that effort at MSK. And it is a tremendous resource for everybody in the field. I mean, we have given our models to over 50 laboratories across the world. And I'm really proud of this platform that we have. And I feel real privileged to be able to be a part of it. So the major challenge to identifying effective treatments for small cell lung cancer has been due to the lack of relevant model systems, because Surgical resection is not really the standard of care for mostly metastatic small cell, which makes up about two-thirds of the patient population. So until recently, research was heavily reliant on cell lines and genetically engineered mouse models, which are great, but they come with inherent limitations. Most of these cell lines were made earlier on before the advent of current standard of care therapies. So it doesn't really accurately represent the current resistance mechanisms to therapies. So this is where patient-derived xenograft models and now circulating tumor cell-derived xenograft models have emerged as incredibly valuable tools to interrogate the genomic landscape for small cell lung cancer. And several studies from our group and others have shown that these models very faithfully recapitulate the mutational landscape of the patients, the gene expression landscape of the patients, and the mutational landscape. And moreover, and most interestingly, I think, they really recapitulate the clinical response and the metastatic proclivity of the patient tumor. And what I mean by that is that if the patient was platinum resistant and we made a patient-derived xenograft from that, we saw that the patient-derived xenograft was also resistant to platinum therapy and they had the same kind of metastatic proclivity that we see in patients. So this is incredible if you think about the doors that this opens for us. Of course, they have their own limitations. We can't do immunotherapy studies in the PDXs because they are grown in immunocompromised murine host. But I think the pros, out, I mean, counterbalance by several, uh, I mean, the cons that we have really outweigh the pros for this model system. And now with CDXs, We don't really need to do biopsies. We can do blood draws and we can make models from the circulating tumor cell-derived xenograft model. And the clinicians, you and Charlie can comment to that. It is much easier to build a blood collection like endpoint in the clinical trials rather than having an invasive tumor biopsy as one of the procedures to be conducted on patients. So I think this has opened really a lot of doors for conducting co-clinical trials in the lab. And you're absolutely right. It can be challenging to get biopsies. It's a disease that moves pretty quickly. It's generally very central. So using blood as a source, I think, is really, really quite exciting. I mean, these are the type of things that I know you'll be discussing at an upcoming meeting. We have the fourth biennial IASLC small cell lung cancer meeting coming up. Charlie, can you tell us about the purpose of this meeting and who should attend this meeting? 
Yeah. So this is a meeting that we actually launched in 2015. And the impetus for it was really that my close research partner, JT Poyer at the time, and I realized there really had never been in our careers, a small cell lung cancer meeting. And, you know, that dates back probably 30 years that there has not been a meeting. And we've said, you know what, we should really get our community together and try to focus attention on this disease. And we contacted ISLC about it, and they were actually remarkably responsive and agreed to support the meeting as a focused workshop initially on small cell lung cancer. We held that initial meeting in 2015, and then again in 17 and 19, and now we'll have it again. And it's grown every year, and the research field has both broadened and deepened. So we're really excited about this. I think it's an appropriate meeting for basic researchers, for translational researchers. It is mostly a preclinical meeting, but I think increasingly we're looking toward clinical targets and there will be sessions directed toward clinical application. We certainly invite the advocacy community to attend and to learn about this important disease. And Traparna, you and Charlie are both co-chairs of this important meeting. And because of the ongoing pandemic, this meeting is a virtual event, correct? Can you speak to some of the challenges and maybe the pros and cons of doing a meeting like this virtually? Absolutely. I'll speak of the challenges first. I think the main goal of this meeting is to build a community, as Charlie mentioned, is to build a community of researchers and clinicians who are really interested in understanding the biology for small cell lung cancer and to also strengthen the existing community. And that becomes really difficult in a virtual format. There is extended interactions. When we used to meet in person, there used to be these extended interactions with the speakers, with the other attendees, and that really does not happen in a virtual format. I mean, some of my fondest memories of previous SCLC meetings were the dinner afterwards or a chat on the lunch table, and that is really not possible. And I think this affects most the junior investigators, like postdocs who are entering the job market and the junior PIs who have just started their lab. I think they do not get the same exposure or peer-to-peer interactions that they could have in an in-person format. But not all is gloomy. I mean, now the benefits is that we have a lot more international participants. Historically, this meeting was either hosted by MSK or NIH, and we had limited seating capacity as comes with any in-person meeting. But the virtual format, I think many more people and many more people all across the world can attend and watch this meeting. And evidently we have for this meeting over 360 registered participants and does not even include the speakers and the moderators. So now we have over 400 participants from all over the world. And I think this is only possible in a virtual format. And I think it's great. And I'm really looking forward to it. I will encourage all our listeners to register for that meeting now to sit on in those sessions. And, you know, I want to be conscious of time. I appreciate how generous both of you have been with your time here. But maybe just in the last few minutes, I think that our audience would love to learn a little bit more about the two of you. Charlie, I'll start with you. Before you took over at Memorial, as Traparna said, you led the program at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about your life before that? And Maybe specifically, how did you decide to study lung cancer? Sure. So the life before that was at University of Chicago, where I did an MD-PhD degree and then stayed on faculty. I chose lung cancer during my medical oncology fellowship, 
partly because I was really interested in trying to develop therapies that were a little bit out of the box. And I was very interested in trying new approaches to the treatment of cancer. And at the time, you know, lung cancer drugs were really few and far between. We sort of had the platinum drugs and Daxol and, and uh, gemcitabine and, you know, a few cytotoxics, but really it was dark days for lung cancer. So there was sort of an infinite number of patients and none of our therapies were very good. So it was really an ideal place to really focus a research career. It's been tremendous to watch how this field has changed really dramatically just in the course of my time in the field. Well, I think some would argue because of your time in the field, but uh, Traparna, let's from you as well. You came to Memorial in 2019 from MD Anderson in Houston. What about before that? And what drew you to lung cancer? Sure. I'll let you in on a secret. I wanted to be a researcher, not cancer researcher, but a researcher very early on in my life. I think I wrote an essay when I was my fifth standard that I wanted to be a researcher, but then I pursued my PhD in cancer biology and I really got hooked. It was back in India and I really appreciated how big the problem of cancer is. It is a social burden, it's an economic burden all over the world. And I really appreciated how big this problem was. And when I came to the United States to do my postdoctoral fellowship, I really wanted to work on translational research to begin with and also on a cancer type that accounted for the highest cancer-related mortality rate, which as we all know is lung cancer. And as I started studying lung cancer, I also got hooked into small cell lung cancer because at that time, as Charlie mentioned, when I was starting as a postdoctoral fellow, not much was known about this disease and it had the worst prognosis. There were almost no therapeutic options. So I really got hooked into the complex biology of this disease and how much it was affecting people and how quickly the disease progressed. So as, as you can say, I spotted the fire and ran towards it. And yeah, I love what I do. I'm sort of living my dream. Well, we're certainly the better for the two of you focusing on this very lethal disease, but a lot of promise for the future. So I know you're both very busy. I, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Traparna, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Stephen. I'm really thankful to be participating in this podcast. And as you said, I would urge your audience to attend the ISLC-SCLC meeting that will be happening on the October 29th and 30th. And Charlie, thank you for taking the time to be with us. Stephen, always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks. And thanks to everyone for listening to Lung Cancer Considered, the official IASLC podcast. I hope you'll tune in regularly to give us a listen Be sure to join us for the ISLC 2021 SCLC meeting with sessions from Friday, October 29th through Saturday the 30th and follow along on social media at hashtag SCLC21. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Considered. You can find all our podcasts on our website, www.iaslc.org in our newsroom or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues.
But strength is more powerful now I'm middle-aged past All the bullets that life shoots at you The things that cloud over your love And in my dream I thought I was flying In reality But in reality 